Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Open up your Bibles to the book of Joshua. Man, I like that. That was good. Joshua. Joshua chapter 7 is where we're going to be at. We're going to continue right where we left off last week. In fact, we are uh, actually doing the second part of the story uh, in last week's text in Joshua chapter 7 of the Battle of Ai. And so we're going to pick up, uh, I think, in verse 6 is the best way to do this. So Joshua chapter um, 7, verse 6. And then we're going to read all the way through the end of that chapter. So Joshua chapter 7. And then we'll go all the way to verse 26. So if you'd like to stand, you can if you're able to. And I'll begin in Joshua 7, 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all, to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off your name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near by man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was taken... And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, son of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give to him, give praise to him, and tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold, and the sons, and the daughters, and his oxen, and his donkeys, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, 
Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. And they burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore to this day the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Father, we ask for your help as we, as we think about sin. Father, I pray that you would convict us of areas that we have fallen, that we have sinned against you. God, enable us to rightly confess and repent of sin. I pray, Father, that as we look back on sins in our past, that we would be fully assured of the payment of Jesus Christ on our behalf, that we would feel the righteousness of Christ inside of us. Father, as we look forward to our our week, our month, our year that lays ahead of us, God, I pray that we would tremble at the thought of sinning against you, at the trouble and the misery that it brings upon our lives. Father, help us today. Teach us with your spirit in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So last week we saw Joshua lead the Israelites to their first victory, right? So they're headed across the Jordan into the promised land. First city is Jericho. It's a walled city, a walled fortress. And so Joshua did just what God told him to. Uh, They consecrated themselves. Remember what it means to consecrate yourselves? It means that you get your life right, right? You, You search your heart. Man, is there something I need to take care of? Is there a step of obedience I need to take? And in Joshua 3, 5, they consecrated themselves. And then Joshua met the commander of the army of the Lord. And uh, God, the commander, Jesus, we believe is the pre-incarnate Jesus, gave him specific instructions about how he was to win the battle of Jericho. And if you'll remember, in Joshua chapter 1, when God first commissioned Joshua for this job, he told him, you're either going to fail or you're going to succeed based on your obedience to the word of God. In Joshua 1, 8, He said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And so, this is an example of that. Joshua hears from Jesus, this is how you are to defeat Jericho. And Joshua does exactly what God told him to do. Even though it doesn't make any sense. Even though no army in the history of the world has ever defeated a walled city by a marching band and a shout. But Joshua obeys the instructions of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the walls of Jericho fall flat. And it's a great victory. But the next battle, the battle of Ai, is a small village up in the hills, 12,000 people. Israel thinks we'll send 3,000 of our best guys up there. We'll be back by lunch. They don't consecrate themselves they don't seek God's plan they don't hear a word from God and they are defeated horribly but they're defeated horribly because there is sin in the camp and we began to look at that last week when we looked at the sin of Achan in him coveting remember verse 21 Achan his confession of how he saw the spoil the cloak the 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 silver the gold in the city God had told all the Israelite soldiers, do not touch it, do not take it, it's not for you, trust me. Achan, for whatever reason, because of his covetousness, did not trust God's word. He took them, and Israel is quickly defeated in sin. Now, one of the things that we learn right away from this is that 
There is, there's probably nothing that will bring misery and defeat in your spiritual life quicker than sin. So Israel goes from, from the high of, of, of Jericho to the low of Ai in a matter of, of days because there is sin in the camp. They, they, they were robbed of victory because of the sin of Achan. And in the same way in your marriage, in the same way in your spiritual life, we, we go from victory to defeat due to sin in our life. Sin wearens relationships. Sin breaks trust. Sin keeps us from seeing clearly and acting boldly. And it, it brings us from the peace of God to the anxiety of sin. It brings us from a closeness to the Lord to guilt and shame. Sin hinders our fellowship with God, our joy in God. It hinders us from being used by God. Now, the interesting thing about our passage this morning is that Joshua doesn't know what happened yet. You and I know, because we were here last week and we just read the whole passage, right? So we know that Israel was defeated because of Achan's sin. He doesn't know that yet. And so notice what he does. In verse 6, Joshua tears his clothes at the sign of mourning, a sign of repentance, a sign of grief. He falls down on the ground, on his face, before the ark of the Lord. All the elders of Israel join him, and he prays and pleads with God all day. Now, if you read his prayer, I think you'll find that Joshua is a little bit like you and I. Um, The first thing that he jumps to, the conclusion that he jumps to, is that God has let him down. He, he begins to wallow in a little bit of self-pity. He begins to say, sound really just like the Israelites way back in Egypt. He begins to say, Lord, why would you bring us here? You know, why did this happen? Now, well, Israel's been turned and we had to retreat and 36 men are dead. And Lord, why would you do this? In verse 7, he even says, why did you bring this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites and to destroy us. Sometimes we're really quick to assume when something goes wrong that God has let us down. For one of the first times in the scripture, in verse 10, God tells somebody to stop praying. Isn't that interesting? You know, most all, everything else in the scriptures tells you to keep praying. But here in Joshua chapter 7, as Joshua lays flat on his face before the ark of the Lord, saying, God, why did this happen? Why did you do this? Why were we defeated? God tells him several times, get up. Right, do you see that? He says in verse 10, he says, The Lord said to Joshua, get up. He says, why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. In essence, what God is telling Joshua here is, it's not a time to pray. It's not a time to wallow in self-pity. It's not a time to bemoan your losses and your defeat. It is a time to deal with your sin. My friends, there are times in our lives where everything's gone wrong, not always, not always, but there are many times where that is directly connected to our own sin. And during those times, it is not the time to to be before the Lord wailing and pleading and bemoaning what's happened. It is a time to act. It's a time to get our life right with the Lord. It's a time to get up and deal with the sin. Now, I want to be real clear. This is one of those messages that I had a lot of angst in my soul this morning, last night, the last couple days, just wanting to do this well so that you don't take a piece of this and go in the wrong direction, okay? 
So I'm going to do several things this morning to try to keep that from happening. So let's be clear about what do we mean by sin, okay? So, so sin hinders our spiritual life. Sin brings defeat, okay? That, those are some of the points of this passage. But let's be clear what kind of sin. So we're not just talking about sin in general, okay? Because here's the reality. Everybody in here is a sinner. Okay? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person that's ever lived in the, in the face of the earth other than Jesus Christ is a sinner. And so what we're not saying this morning is, is that because you have sin in your past, that's why bad things are going to happen. That's why defeat is going to happen. That's why discouragement. We're, we're, we're not saying that, okay? Because we at Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church believe the gospel. Now, what does the gospel say? Well, the gospel says that God in his mercy sent his son, Jesus Christ, to put on human flesh, to be born of a virgin, to live the perfect life that you and I have not lived, a life without sin, and then to die a substitutionary death on the cross on our behalf in order to pay the penalty for our sin. And then on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead so that anyone, including us, who repents of sin and puts their faith in Jesus can be joined to his resurrection life. When that happens, Jesus' righteousness is put into your account. Your sin is placed upon him and it is paid for. Okay? We believe the gospel. I hope that you believe that here this morning. I hope that you believe the gospel. And because we believe the gospel, we're not saying, well, because there was sin in my past... Bad things are going to happen in my future. We're, we're, we're not making that connection. What we are saying is that even as believers, even as God's people, the Israelites were God's people, even though we're forgiven, when we do not deal with the sin in our life, it hinders our spiritual victories. Okay? When we don't deal with sin, what do I mean by not dealing with sin? Ignoring sin is not dealing with sin. Whenever you've got sin in your life, whenever you, you've acted in a way that dishonors God and you just ignore it, that's not dealing with sin. Whenever you justify your sin, whenever you sin against God and, and instead of confessing and, and, and coming right with the Lord and repenting, instead of doing that, you say, well, I did that because, you know, or if, if they weren't that or if my life wasn't so hard, that's not dealing with sin. Whenever we hide our sin, it's not dealing with sin. And the Bible says that, that even a believer who does not deal with sin, it will hinder their fellowship with God. We're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about you lose your salvation. No, 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 we're not, we're not saying that. We're saying a believer must deal with the sin in his life in order to be in a right relationship with God. 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. When you meet that person that tells you that they have risen above sin, that they no longer sin, they no longer struggle with any thoughts that are unpleasing to the Lord or words that are dishonoring to God, they've risen to the state of sinlessness, you say, read verse, 1 John 1, 8, okay? I was going to say call him a liar, but that's not nice. So let the Bible do that, okay? So 1 John 1, 8 says, you're deceiving yourselves, you're lying to yourselves. But rather, verse 9 says, if we confess our sin, what is confessing your sin? It is agreeing with God. It is repenting and agreeing with God and getting right and dealing with the sin in your life. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
When we don't do that, our spiritual lives are hindered. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Listen to this. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Some of you say, well, that's just the Old Testament. Okay. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You see, sin in our life, if not dealt with, will hinder our spiritual lives. Now again, be careful. Be careful not to take something here and go the wrong way with it. Are we saying that any defeat, any struggle, any hardship, any tough time in your life is because you sinned? We're not saying that. In fact, let me present to you a man named Jesus who went through all kinds of horrific things in his short 33 33 years of life and yet never sinned once. How about a man named Job, whose life completely came unraveled and all of his friends kept saying, Job, you must have done something to deserve this. You You must have some kind of hidden sin. And Job continued to proclaim. He didn't say he was sinless. He said, I'm a sinner. But he said, you know, I've not done anything to cause these things. And he was right. He had not. Okay. So, so we're, not, we're not saying that. Okay. But, but what we are saying is that sin will hinder your spiritual life. And in fact, what the Bible says is you should be in a regular practice of confessing your sins. It's what, it's what Joshua keeps telling the children of Israel. Consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves means look at your life and make sure you're, you're right with God. In Psalm 139, we have a model of, of how to do this. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying, God, look at my life. God, search over my life. Search over my heart. Search over my words. Search over my attitude. Search over my thoughts. And God, show me, is there something? Is there a sin I need to deal with? And so in Joshua chapter 7, verse 13, when when Joshua tells all of Israel, consecrate yourselves, that's what he's telling them to do. He's saying, look at your life. Make sure there's not sin that needs to be dealt with. Because there was sin. That needed to be dealt with. But guess what? Nobody confessed. Who should have been confessing? Achan. Right? If you are here last week. He, he did it. God said do not take anything out of Jericho. Achan went in there. He saw some valuable stuff. Probably connected to idolatry. He wrapped it up in his cloak. I don't know how he hid it. He got it out of there. He got into his tent. He said honey shut the door. He said Pull the bed, son, help me get the bed moved. He dug a hole in the ground. They counted it. They celebrated what they'd done, put it in the ground, covered it up, and they hid it. And now Joshua says, all right, Israel, there's sin in the camp. Consecrate yourselves. Achan doesn't confess. So then God tells Joshua, okay, get all Israel together, and we're going to cast lots, the tribe that's chosen. Needs to stay. So they cast lots and the tribe of Judah is chosen. 
They stay. Everybody else goes to the sidelines. Everybody else is watching. Now, what would you think would have been happening at this point? You know, would you think that uh, Achan would have gotten a little nervous? You know, I mean, at that point, he knows it's him. He knows he's the one that sinned, but he doesn't confess. I, I don't know this for sure, but I kind of think he looked around and thought, who is it? Come on, you know, guy, Judah, really, the tribe of Judah? And then the clan of the Zerahites is chosen. The whole rest of the Judah, tribe of Judah goes onto the sidelines, and it's just the clan of the Zerahites. Once again, does Achan confess? No. And then the, the, the family of, who is it, Zabdi, I think it was? He's chosen, the household of Zabdi. Achan doesn't confess. And then finally, Achan, it's you. And then he confesses. Why is it that we try to hide our sin? Folks, why do we do that? Why, why, why do we think that somehow... We can just pretend. Somehow we can just put on a good front. Somehow we can just ignore with the sin we know is in our life and just keep going forward and everything will be okay. I call my mom and dad as I do every Sunday morning. And as we were finishing up our conversation, I said, Mom, I'm preaching on the sin of Achan this morning. I kind of need a good story about somebody who hid their sin and it got found out. She's like, ah, again, you know. She said that. She goes, again? How many times are you going to tell that, Jason? She said, yeah, you can. Probably most of you in this service have heard it before, but it's the classic example to me of, of your sin will find you out. But my, my family, when I was little, had bought a beef. Um, we had cattle, and, and so we'd bought a beef, and we'd got it processed, and my mom had picked it up one july day in our big white conversion van that we had and we stacked it all in the back and we brought it home and we unloaded it and uh, unbeknownst to anybody we had forgotten the steaks they were underneath the seat and uh, we had forgotten to take the best part of the beef out there now we did not have a lot of money growing up and so this was a big deal for us to get a beef and um, a couple days later when my mom got back in the van it was horrible you know it stunk there was that meat had rotted in there and so my mom's a cleaner anyway. She's great at cleaning. And so she went in there and she cleaned that, that whole van out. She threw away the evidence. She, you know, shampooed the carpets. She, you know, got, got it all hopefully presentable. And then she didn't say a word to my dad. It was about a week later, my dad came back. He had been farming in Colorado and he came back home. And we all got in the van to go to church that morning. And my dad said, there's a mouse in here. He said, I smell a mouse. Uh, we parked our van under our pole shed, and the mice would often get in there. And he said, there's a mouse that's gotten in here and died. And my mom's like, I don't smell anything, Rick. I don't smell anything. <laughs> so she thought that it kind of had passed. And uh, a couple days later, my mom came home from town, and my dad had gotten home early. And he had the van out in the driveway, and he had the, the headliner out. He had the side panels out. He was taking the van apart trying to find that mouse. Again, my mom said nothing. My dad finally put the van back together, couldn't find the mouse. The smell went away eventually, and everything was fine. We actually sold that. We got, they got an old GMC Suburban after that and a couple other vehicles. About 10 years later, we were at Thanksgiving, and we were all sitting around the table in my grandma's house, and 
Um, this is, if you know my grandma, if you knew my grandma, she's passed away, but this, this was very uh, typical of her. Someone told a story about something stinking, stinking. And my grandma says in front of everybody, my dad sitting there, my mom, my whole family, our, our relatives, and my grandma says, Nor, do you remember that time that you left that meat in the van and it started stinking? <laughs> my dad said, What time? <laughs> Numbers chapter, I believe it's 32, says your sin will find you out. Why, why do we do that? You know, here's the reality. You, you can hide your sin from your church. You can do that. You can hide it from your family. Some people are really good at that. It's harder, but you can hide it from your spouse. But Hebrews 4.13 says this. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed in the eyes of whom to whom we must give an account. You can't hide from God. But let me ask you maybe an even better question. Why would you want to? We are right now, hopefully in the final days of potty training, our sixth child. Now, in those six experiences of potty training, I I have come to see something that puzzles me time and time and time again. It's usually toward the end when you're almost getting them potty trained. And number two, for some reason, is usually more difficult than number one. And so this has happened with several of our kids just recently in the last week has happened, and I witnessed it. Um, They'll pretty pretty good, and they'll be wearing big boy pants or big girl pants. And they'll be playing, and all of a sudden they'll walk by, and something stinks really bad. And you take a little closer inspection, and there's a, there's a bulge, there's a protrusion from the back, you know. And so you look that little one in the eye, and why, why we do stuff like this, I'm not quite sure, but we all parents, we do it. We look them in the eye, because we know the answer. But anyway, we look them in the eye, and we say, did you poop your pants? And they look us back in the eye and say, nope. There's a couple mysterious things about that. Number one, how can they think that that's going to end well? Does that make sense? Like, like it's not going away. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, like is there actually a way that denying it is going to end well? That, that that's going to somehow evaporate or disappear? Or, But maybe the better question, this is a really good one. Why wouldn't you want to be clean? Literally in that aspect. Why wouldn't you want to come clean and be clean? And I would ask Achan the same thing. And I would ask you and I the same thing. Whenever there's sin in our life, do we think that somehow it's just going to get better? That not coming clean, we don't confess it, we don't deal with it, we just leave it in there. Do we think that somehow that's going to be okay? It's not going to be okay. But maybe even the better question, why wouldn't you want to be clean? Why why wouldn't you want to confess and embrace the gospel and be clean? So what, what was Achan thinking as the tribe of Judah was called and the Zerites were called and the family was called? What was he thinking? I don't know. I don't know if he... I can't imagine that he thought that God didn't see. 
This is the same God that just took down the walls of Jericho a couple days later, and he was there. But you know, you know what I have found? In Zephaniah 1.12, it talks about people who know that God sees, but they just think God won't do anything. It's called testing the Lord. It's why I, I know God sees, but he's not going to do anything. Notice what Joshua says to Achan in verse 25. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? That's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting because we would really like to think that our sin is just between us and God. We like that, don't we? I mean, we like to think our sin is just a private matter. It, It doesn't affect anybody else. It's nobody else's business. It's just between me and God. But actually, when you look at the scriptures, that is not true. The reality is is that our sin does affect other people. Achan's sin would result not only in his immediate death, but it would result in the defeat of Israel in the battle of Ai. It would result in 36 Israelite men, fathers and husbands, losing their life in the battle of Ai. It would result in an entire nation screeching to a halt in the promised land, not able to go forward until this is settled and dealt with before the Lord, it would result in probably his entire family's execution. In other words, Achan's sin had a radical impact on those around him. And so a question that I think ought to be considered in our fight against sin is, how will my sin affect those around me? Now, I'm going to be real clear about this, and I'm going to come back and we're going to clarify just because it's a very important point. We are only talking about looking forward, okay? We're not talking about looking backward. And I'll clarify that in just a second. But, but we are specifically applying this to looking forward in our lives. So in other words, as I look ahead at my day and my week and my month and my year, I need to be conscious of how sin affects not only me, but the other people in my life. Let's talk real quickly. Number one, some sin is directly against others. So sin always brings misery. When you sin against people, it brings misery to them. So when you lie to somebody, when you cheat them, when you steal from them, when you tear them down uh, with your words, when you gossip, when you slander, um, whatever you do against somebody that is sin hurts people because sin is destructive. Number two, our own sin influences other people to sin. I just got done reading 1 and 2 Kings. And man, if you've ever, if you've ever waded through that, that section of the Bible where it talks about all those different kings of Israel, it's really interesting because at one point there, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom split. And the first king of the northern kingdom is a man named Jeroboam. And actually, when you read about his life, He really didn't do too bad as a king. I mean, some of them were horrific. He really didn't do too bad except for one terrible mistake, one terrible sin. He was so afraid that his people would be drawn back to worship in Jerusalem and that they would actually kind of, he would lose power over them. He made an idol in the northern kingdom and told them to come worship there. For the next Several centuries, three or four hundred years, every king after him, all of his sons, grandsons, every king after him 
no matter what good or bad they do, at the end of their little obituary, there in the book of Kings, as you read, that's what a lot of those pages are, is just, here's what happened with this guy. Every one of them says, well, this guy did this good and this bad, and he was a pretty good king, or he was a pretty bad king. But then it always comes back to, but he sinned by, by following his father, Jeroboam, in his sin. So this one guy's action causes generational sin in his family. Our sin influences other people. Number three, our sin keeps us from being the people that God has created us to be toward others. So, so what I mean by that is that when, when we are living in sin, let's just put it this way. When you're living in sin, you're not the friend that you ought to be, that you could be. When you're living in sin, you're not the dad that you could be. When you're living in sin, unconvinced, you're not the mom. You're not the grandma. You're not, you're not, the, you're not the Christian that you could be. And in fact, that's what 1 Peter 3, 7, that verse we looked at a while back, is getting at. Husbands, love your wives in this way, because if you don't, then your prayers are hindered. In other words, you're very praying for people. You know, what, what they ought to receive, the benefit they ought to receive from your prayers is actually hindered because you are living in unrepentant sin. And then the final one, and this is the most difficult one for us, I think, is that because we are vitally connected to each other, you're saying, what? What does that mean? See, in, in America, we all like to think we're independent, right? Like, we're lone rangers. Like, ah, you know, no, actually we're not. For one, we're all Americans, aren't we? You just can't get around that. Like, you, you live here, right? It doesn't matter who you voted for. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. You are an American, and so we, we to some degree, are vitally connected to the rest of our nation. You're northwest Oklahomans. We live in this community. Even more specific, you're part of your family, right? You're part of your family. Some of you are married. And that's, that's, that's one of the closest unions. You're, you're, you're joined as one flesh to another person. And then many of you are Christians, which means you're in the body of Christ. So because we are vitally connected to one another, the consequences of sin, as well as God's discipline on sin, will have an effect on those we're connected to. That's just true. The, the most drastic example of this in the Bible is King David. So King David sins in an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. Let me ask you, does that sin have any kind of effect on anybody else? <laughs> Absolutely. He sins against Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. So he, he actually gets killed because of it. Okay, But even the consequences of his sin have generational impact upon his family. God tells him, you're forgiven, David, but the sin will not depart from your house. And in fact, the child conceived in his union with Bathsheba dies. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Okay, so those were hard things to hear, wasn't it? Our sin affects other people. Now, how do we apply this? And this is where I really need you to please hear me out, okay? We apply it always looking forward and never looking backward. Okay, does everybody get that? We apply this always looking forward, never looking backward. Looking forward is very productive. 
And God, God will use that mightily in your life. Looking backward, Satan will use that in your life. Okay, so let me give you some examples. So we should apply this looking forward. In other words, as I walk through my week this week, whenever I'm tempted to sin, I ought to keep in mind Achan. I ought to keep in mind that sin brings misery, not only to my own life, but to everybody around me. That ought to be a catalyst in me not wanting to sin. In fact, if you'll notice what they do, they pile a huge heap of stones over Achan. Why do they do that? They do that as a reminder. This is what sin does. So looking forward, we need to hear that sin has consequences not only on our lives, but also on the lives of others, especially those close to us. Now, looking backward, what do we do? We believe the gospel. You see, here's where this thing could go real wrong. If, if the way that you apply this is by looking backward in your life and saying, okay, I've been diagnosed with cancer. So what that must mean is I've got some sin in my life. Way back in my teens, I did this or did that. God's probably punishing me for that. That's, that's the devil, guys. That is, that is not believing the gospel, okay? That is not believing the gospel. And you say, well, yeah, but you just told us, you just gave us a, a scriptural example in, in the life of David that, that at times our sin affects others around us. Affects our, it does, okay? But, but it's never healthy to look backward and try to figure that out. If God spoke from heaven and told you that it did, that's fine, okay? You know it. I doubt that he did, all right? But even David had to move on. If you'll notice in that passage, David accepts what God has says and he moves on to live for Christ. What is not productive is, is this. What is not productive is when people feel that they have to pay for things they've done in their past. The, the reason I'm pausing here is because I, I just talked to a guy this week. And I mean, I love him. Many of you probably love him. And, and as he talked about his life, he... he he made the statement. He was trusting, trying to trust Christ, but he, he made the statement that he felt like that many of the bad things that he was experiencing in his life right now was payment for some of the sin that he'd done. Jesus paid it all. We sing that song, don't we, Bonnie? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. That's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ, the God-man, lived the perfect life and died a death on the cross on my behalf so that I could repent of sin, confess that to Him, embrace the cross, and be rid of it. And go forward. My friends, rehashing the sins of your past does not glorify God. Sulking in guilt is not God glorifying. It does not make you a better Christian. It does not make you a better friend. It does not make you a, a more Christ-loving mother or Christ-imitating father. Beating yourself up does not fuel your love for God or propel you into the mission of the gospel. It does none of those things. In fact, I know a lot of people who are... Who are not going anywhere in their faith. And when you begin to dig into why, it's because they feel like they're not worthy. Man, are you here today 
Somebody here today that feels like that? You, you've embraced the gospel. You've embraced the cross. You've come to know Christ. But you're kind of never going forward in your Christian life because you're like, yeah, but I did those bad things, so I'm not worthy. My friends, that is not believing the gospel. The gospel says that we are freed from the condemnation of our sin. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, does this passage apply to us? Absolutely. Man, if you're here this morning and you're hiding your sin, deal with it. What does God say? Get up. Get up and, and deal with your sin. Repent of it today. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Confess that sin and be right with Him. We're going to finish our service by partaking of the Lord's Supper. And my, I think this is the perfect time to do this. Because what we do in the Lord's Supper is we remember the gospel. More than remember, we appropriate the gospel. We remember that it was the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of our Lord that enables us to be clean. Remember what Joshua told the people? Consecrate yourselves. That's what we're about to do. We're about to consecrate ourselves. We're about to search over our life. And if there's unconfessed sin there, we bring that to the cross. And we confess. And we repent. And we say to the Lord this morning, no more, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And we partake of these elements, and when we do, we are believing, Jesus, you paid it all. You paid for that sin that I just confessed. Your blood was shed for it, and I'm clean of it. And I bear the guilt of it no more. And now I'm going forward in my life to live for you.